This is God's word. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not think you are superior. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Gracious God, thank you for words that are challenging. As we come together, we come from so many different places, and we're hearing words from the Bible. And uh, some of us come with sorrow or pain or struggle as a part of our journey. And we wonder this morning if there might be any light that pierces through the darkness of that. Others of us come with joy because maybe for the first time it really feels like you've answered prayers clearly and there's been a breakthrough in life. And others of us come, if we had to describe where we find ourselves, it's a place of loneliness we have, we have walled ourselves off through our, a lot of it our own making and made ourselves an island. And we find ourselves around people, yet we de- feel desperately alone. Others of us come and we maybe have such doubt and such questions, more questions than answers, more doubt than belief. We maybe come wondering if this is the place for us this morning. But the truth is all of us have a universal condition that we're more of a mess than we care to admit. We don't want people to know it, but we're fragmented and broken. And your story tells us over and over again in these pages that you, rather than reject us and turn from us and isolate us, you move towards us with your love. We ask that you help us to believe today that that is true and speak to us through that kind of grace and mercy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think this channel 12 it is has to go down a little bit. I think it's going to get a little feedback if we don't. So I'm, I'm going to bring your attention to verse 21 of chapter 12 and focus on how it says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Sort of a summary statement of all these teachings about love. It was on December 1 of 1955 that Rosa Parks was booked and fingerprinted and incarcerated, charged with violating the Alabama bus segregation laws 
So that was a Thursday, and by Monday, a bus boycott was organized. You maybe know this story well. The NAACP, the Women's Political Council, Baptist Ministers Conference, and the city's African, um, African Methodist Episcopal Zionist ministers united with the community to help. So this is the first week of December 1955. After the successful beginning of the boycott on that Monday, the Montgomery Improvement Association came into being that afternoon and Martin Luther King Jr. accepted the presidency. And as MIA leader, King became the focus of white hatred. And on January 30, so just two months later, less than two months later, the King home was bombed. And when he heard about it and when he approached his home, um, left the place where he was speaking in the middle of the meeting and went home, he saw blacks brandishing guns and knives in front of his house and a barricade of white policemen. King went inside. He pushes through the crowd to, to make sure and he finds that Coretta and their 10-week-old baby are okay in the back room. And so he makes his way back out and there's these reporters that are trying to leave to file their stories. And Taylor Branch, in, in his book, Parting the Waters, he tells what happened next. King walked out onto the front porch holding up his hand for silence. He tried to still the anger by speaking with an exaggerated peacefulness in his voice. Everything was all right, he said. Don't get panicky. Don't do anything panicky. Don't, don't get your weapons. If you have weapons, take them home. He who lives by the sword will perish by the sword. Remember, that is what Jesus said. We are not advocating violence. We want to love our enemies. I want you to love our enemies. Be good to them. This is what we must live by. We must meet hate with love. In some ways, man, the Bible sets a terrifyingly high bar for love for us as we look at this passage and as we see once in a while in history tangible examples of that being carried out. I, I think... Our normal daily struggle, when we are picturing being more loving, doing more good, we think about, man, if the struggle of just carving out a little more time to do good things for the kind of people who are in need that we can all agree upon, that would be a good thing to do. How do I carve out a little more time? Set aside a little more money to put into rice bowls. How do I... Um, help the people I see in need when I'm walking through the city and how do I perhaps more often reach out to them instead of closing off and ignoring we think about these kinds of things and you and your friends and neighbors and family would all agree that increasing those kinds of things would look like a better kind of life a good kind of loving life but the Bible in Jesus sets a whole different kind of challenge for love. Uh, a whole, it goes a different direction, a direction we do not predict on our own. When Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verse 43 says, You have heard it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Our minds just don't go there. Our imaginations just don't naturally picture that as being the highest standard of love. Certainly culturally, that's not be debatable. And so I think Frederick Beekner, a writer you may have heard of, um, 
puts it best when he says, he talks about the different kinds of loves that there are. This is what we're talking about. He says, um, this quote's in your worship guide as well. He says, the love for equals is a human thing. A friend for a friend, brother for brother. It is to love what is loving and lovely. The world smiles. The love for those less fortunate is a beautiful thing. The love for those who suffer, for those who are poor, the sick, the failures, the unlovely. This is compassion. And it touches the heart of the world. The love for the more fortunate is a rare thing. To love those who succeed where we fail, to rejoice without envy with those who, re- with those who rejoice. The love of the poor for the rich, of the black man for the white man, The world is bewildered by its saints. And then, he says, and then there is love for the enemy. Love for the one who does not love you but mocks, threatens, and inflicts pain. The tortured's love for the torturer. This is God's love. It conquers the world. (laughs) It conquers the world. It seems like as we go about our attempts to love more, to put on more kinds of loving actions, you know, we, we, we think the challenge shouldn't be that hard. But then as we try to love, it's as if the universe says to us, sees us trying to be loving, sees us trying to have the best intentions and be better people. The universe says to us, oh yeah, let's see if I throw a little bit of this in your face from this person who gets under your skin, right? It doesn't always turn out the way that we picture it. I have a good friend who you hear about once in a while because um, he's got great stories as a part of his life. He's a pastor starting a church one neighborhood over across the river in Gardenland, Northgate. So he and his wife and their family, they, they, you know, about eight, nine years ago, they dedicate their lives to this calling of planting themselves in a, in a neighborhood full of impoverished families and broken lives and addiction and gangs. As, a, as their life calling, we're going to plant ourselves here and bring God's love here and, and start community events and a church, tutoring center, you know, sports league. So they're pouring, they're, they're sacrificing, they're pouring out their love into this, this broken community. And they have relatives looking at them going, you're crazy. This is not the smart plan for life to, to live in this kind of depreciating neighborhood and to live with these kind of neighbors. And you might imagine you can maybe picture the movie made about their lives. And, and, and right about now you expect a sort of montage scene where, you know, you picture my friend Dave uh, painting a community center with a gang member next to him. You know, they've, they've broken through those differences and his love has been appreciated. No. Uh, about, I think about a year and a half ago, they all, they all load up in the car. They have some friends in town. They leave and they get robbed. And the people steal things like their kids' coin collection that they get out on their table together and they collect these rare coins and talk about them and read about them. Piggy banks, you know, they're video games. He realizes that without a doubt, who did it? But the teenagers next door, his neighbors. And again, you start to think, well, certainly where this is going is reconciliation and, and some kind of other montage scene where they're together and they're happy and they're having a neighborhood barbecue together, perhaps. The, the ones who robbed and, the, and my friend Dave and his family now. In fact, the, the last chapter in the story is him opening up his laptop in the living room. And you know how you do this when there's 
there's a box that pops up and says search, searching for wireless networks and it shows you the ones that are within range and the names of those and he, he sees the one on the top with the strongest signal coming from his neighbor's house and what is the name? What have they named their wireless network? F dash 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 you fill in the blank F Dave <laughs> pouring his love into you know people's lives into this community and not even his next door neighbor and the kids that they're trying to look out for and reach out to they rob them and that's what the message they want to go out into the world around them you know and a lot of us I've given you some extreme examples I always got to be careful to give you examples of ministers you know so you have Martin Luther King Jr you have my friend dedicating his life to neighborhood but it's a part of a spectrum that we're all a part of Many of us, at some point in your life, you will have someone who, if they could legally get away with it, they would make your life miserable, more miserable than it already is. They would, if they could, there's many cases where someone would, if they could get away with it, they would try to guarantee that you wouldn't be happy. This, just, this is part of life. Stuff gets thrown at us, and, and what, what happens really inside of us is we can develop a sort of resentment, a sort of anger, at other people in our lives. It's, and I imagine if we took all of that load of resentment of the, well, let's just call it what it is, what the Bible calls it, what Jesus calls it, sin. People's sin getting kind of dumped on us. And if we took that collective load that even is in this room that you're carrying today, I imagine if any one of us stood under it, it would just squash us. It would crush us. This heavy load. And if there's any way in which we're a community moving in a direction together as a church, as people who are following Jesus, this kind of load that we're dragging along is slowing us down. It's as if we want to, we're trying to put on our, our spectacles, our eyeglasses of love as we look in the world. Oh yeah, I'm going to put these on, I'm going to put on love and look at the world. And it's like immediately they get fogged up and we just can't see the world that way. Because so much gets thrown at us. And that was definitely the case as the Apostle Paul writes this letter to the Roman church. Um, picture this, this kind of totally different kind of context. Which is a big city, Rome. And um, there's different Jewish little communities, little synagogues perhaps even, that met in homes or met in other buildings. And they had a tight kind of religious background all around Scripture, all around the, the idea that someday a Messiah would come and God would you know, lift them up. And a lot of them went, I don't know how many, but... A, a lot of them went to Jerusalem at a time for a feast called Pentecost. And this was right after when Jesus had come and died and rose from the dead. So they get to Jerusalem, and instead of the regular kind of things that happen, they get something, something different happens. There's this movement. Perhaps they had heard about it, but they probably wrote it off, this movement of, around Jesus, this Jesus character, this fringe guy who ended up getting killed. But they get to Jerusalem, and at the middle of this feast, when there's crowds and crowds of people, there's an explosive experience. Tongues and fire, uh, t- fire on people's head. People speaking in languages from all around the world. And many of them come back on the way to Rome excited. Their lives have been transformed because what is at the center of this explosive experience of healings and people seeing visions and people um, hearing languages um, from people who shouldn't be speaking them. At the center of it is Jesus. Who, and they're all saying he's the son of God. He's the... Messiah, the Christos. And so these people transformed, some of them, 
maybe not even all, are going back home to Rome and they're excited to bring back this message. Nobody knows about it. Nobody's a Christian in Rome. And they bring this back to their Jewish context, their synagogues. Not only that, but they're realizing now what they learned in Jerusalem at Pentecost was that it's, this message is going out to all people. There's some, a, a, a radical throwing out of the arms and not just us Jews, but the Gentiles. And so now they're... For the first time, they're kind of glad they're inviting their neighbors to come and learn about God and to come to the meetings together. So this church is diversifying. And then there's this huge conflict because guess what? Not every Jew is excited about the idea that this Jesus really is the promised Messiah. And you can imagine, it it turns out, basically, in the city, there's so much tension around that issue of Jesus being the Messiah in these Jewish communities that they're, they're rioting. And finally... The emperor, Claudius, expels all Jews from Rome. (laughs) So now imagine this. Imagine you're one of those new people, the Gentiles, who comes into this church, and you're actually a little bit relieved. (laughs) All those bickering, you know, ethnically Jewish folks that are part of our church, sure, there's something sad about this, but you know what? (laughs) That was getting kind of nuts and crazy. Can't we just get along? Can't we just love each other? But now, guess what? People in Rome are looking at these Gentile believer Christians and going, yeah, we've we got our eyes on you. You're, you're sympathizers. We're going to be watching you. In fact, there might have been a little bit of similarity to people who went from, who whites who went from the north and went down and marched with the blacks in the civil rights movement. You're sympathizers. You're not welcome here. People out, just out of the blue, friends turning on friends and people wanting, wanting to make these Gentile Christians' lives miserable. And they're just going, we just heard about this message of grace. That's all we did. We just kind of bought into it and we, we love this new message and God through Jesus and it's great. And now everybody hates us. So they've got resentment towards, you know, they've got anger building towards their fellow countrymen. They've got anger and resentment issues towards the Jew- Jews and Jewish Christians. This is a recipe for hatred and more riots and more violence and revenge. And so right into the middle of this, the Apostle Paul writes and he says, Okay, let's focus on something. What do I want to tell you? Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. People are throwing stuff in your eyes. Okay, how do Christians look at this? What's our unique take on when sin is thrown at you, when people deserve your worst? What's the unique message? Throw back good at them. Love them. Turn the other cheek. Allow yourself to become a little bit of a doormat. What? And... um. And so as Martin Luther, uh, not Martin Luther King, but the one farther back, Martin Luther in his commentary on Romans, he says this. So God converts, so God converts those whom he does convert by showing them goodness. He says it is only in this way that we can convert a person, namely by showing them kindness and love. Whoever is converted by threat or terror is not truly converted. As long as he adheres to the outward form of conversion... For fear causes us to hate those who convert us. But if anyone is converted by love, then the whole person burns against himself and is more angry with himself than anyone else could be angry with him. For he detests himself with the greatest vehemence. 
It is not necessary to forbid anything to such a person, to watch him and demand satisfaction from him, for love will teach him all right things. Love will teach him all right things. I like the fact that as, as Martin Luther is reflecting on this passage, he goes back to, you notice how he started? God converts those who he does convert by showing them goodness. He goes back to how you can be changed by God's goodness. How that's, that's how you have been changed by God. So if you think about, you know, wh- where does this teaching come from that Paul talks? Well, we already looked back at Jesus. It came from Jesus. So we say, okay, Jesus is our model. And he says, love your neighbor or love your enemy. And we see him going to the cross and saying, um, Father, forgive them out to the crowd who has put him on the cross. Okay, so he's our model, so we just follow him, right? Well, there's actually two, there's actually two ways to go about looking to your model and following Jesus in this, in this teaching. There's two ways to go about this teaching. The first is just, just to look at Jesus and say, okay, like any other religion in this world, here's the teaching, here's the unique thing of Christianity, I'm going to... I'm going to look at that and I'm going to apply myself to getting better and better at loving my enemies, at trying more and more, as impossible as it seems, to, to return good. I'm going to look to Jesus to do this. I'm going to learn from him. He's my teacher. He's my model. Now, that's great. And in fact, I wouldn't discourage that because if, if that's where you're, you're at right now because I'd much rather have a neighbor living next to me trying their, with all their might to live like Jesus than to, to not be. That, that's, that's a good option. But let me explain where that often ends up. You can end up, if you commit yourself to that kind of journey, you can end up sitting in a church year after year, and as the years go by, stuff gets thrown at you, and you start to see some chinks in your armor, in your ability to, to, to have any kind of internal energy or desire to love in return when evil is thrown at you. You Little by little, you start to realize, you know what? I don't know if I'm getting any better at this. I don't know if I can just apply myself to this and and do this because more and more things start to occur. I mean, sure, maybe you're young now, but as life goes on, more more and more things build up. The resentment builds. The cynicism builds. You look at other people in churches and you say, I don't see very many Christians living like that. So you start to get resentful about other people who aren't living up to that teaching. You start to get resentful about your, yourself and even this teaching, and it's, it seems kind of impossible. I start to get cynical about how, can anybody ever really live like Jesus? And in the end, you eventually get a little bit cynical about God in himself, about just the idea that there's a, maybe a God who puts forth this kind of teaching and that it's possible. doesn't seem like it makes any difference. Now let me paint a different picture, option number two, and that is, as you look at Jesus and as you puzzle over your inability to love your enemies, realize that when Jesus loved his enemies on the cross, that he was in fact absorbing your sin and returning your evil with love. And that he doesn't just want to teach you about that concept. He wants to transform your life with that action of love. So that as, as you attempt to love others and you fail, you know your failures have been returned with God's love. Now that over and over. Picture a life year after year trying to return evil with good. Failing, maybe once in a while, doing it kind of, a little bit. You know, to that relative 
who just turned against you and wants to make your life miserable. Whoever, picture whoever in your life. Little by little, you maybe do a little bit, but most of the time you fail. And each time you're processing that failure and saying, but God returns my failures and my sin with love. I'm accepted more than I ever dreamed, as broken as I am. Now you began the journey, the transformative journey, of actually having a growing energy to return evil with good. Because you have been transformed from the inside out. You're not just trying out here, trying to accomplish some religious thing. You've been transformed. You're being transformed. Two ways to look at it. Really, it's an unprecedented teaching, if you think about it. This is how, in the, in the worship guide, you see this other quote, this commentator, Douglas Moo. He says, Jesus' command that his followers respond to persecution and hatred with love and blessing was unprecedented in both the Greek and Jewish worlds. How can, how can Christianity put forth an unprecedented, such impossibly high standard of love? Because through the cross... God offers transformation of your heart to be able to love that way. And you once in a while see examples of it. Yours will probably be minor. They won't make the newspapers like five years ago when, the, when our nation was shocked, when, when a man drove up to an Amish school and sent the boys out and shot ten little Amish girls and then shot himself. We were just shocked at this. But then even more shocking was this Amish community centering their life around the Lord's Prayer, which says, you know, uh, how, does it, how does it go in our version? I'm trying to think. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And they pray this and they believe in literally living that out. And so some of the members of that community, that evening of the shooting, go to the, the, the widow whose husband did this. They go to her home where she has three daughters. And they want to assure her that they are not holding it against her and that they love her and that they forgive her husband's actions. The night of the, of the massacre. And then, and then, as you probably heard, you remember that... Um, about half the people at the funeral for the shooter were from that Amish community. Some of them saying things out loud to the press, saying, this is what Jesus said to do, love your enemies. And we believe we're all sinners, (laughs) that none of us are perfect, and we all need God's forgiveness, and we all need to forgive each other. And I, want, and I think about that story, and I think, now, who has changed the most by that? Okay, we've heard that story. Maybe you've heard it before. Maybe today's your first time. I've heard it. I've read it several times. It, you know, it's intriguing. It's inspiring. But in a few days, I'll forget about it. It won't really motivate my love, necessarily, to hear that story. But when they came to this widow and they offered her love, I'm sure it made a big difference in her life and in the life of her daughters who will grow up without a daddy. But you know what? I think even more, you know who, to, to live like that, you know who it changes? The people who forgive. If you, li- if you look at evil and sin and mess that's thrown at you, and you have a sense of always being inclined to extend those boundaries where you want to plant walls of justice that say, I've got to put boundaries here because I'm going to become a doormat. And if your natural inclination because of your connection to Jesus is to keep pushing those boundaries out, more forgiveness, more generous, more mercy, more grace. In the end, you are planting yourself closer to God's mercy, the way God operated towards you. And it becomes this loop of growth, being close to God's mercy. And pretty soon, what can happen is your, 
your heart becomes a fertile soil for love to grow. So that when, when people, as will happen in your life, when people scatter seeds of evil and brokenness into your life, into your face, those seeds get planted in the fertile soil of God's love for you. And instead of sprouting evil, they sprout love in return. Will you pray with me? God of love, may you convince us of your love for us. And with this nearly impossible teaching to love our enemies, may you just do something this morning in each of us to draw us closer to your love, to draw us closer to your mercy for us, to help us see ourselves as needing your grace and your forgiveness and needing your love amidst our sin. Will you help us to know that that's true about us? Will you bring us one step closer to that kind of mercy? so that we might be a community moving in a direction of love when the world tells us uh, to, to pay back or to revenge. Help us to do this kind of love only through your power. In Christ's name, amen.